I'm, won't keep you long. Just gonna, I'm probably going to do more pastoral exhortation today, and then, um, but we're going to continue just to lay the, this, this work. We're looking at the pleasures of God, the pleasures of God. And I hope and pray that as you're meditating on the God's pleasure that is changing the paradigm of your relationship with God, you know, I mean, a lot of people have this picture of God demanding obedience. And that's just not the way God is. He's a God of great pleasure. The source of all pleasures. Pleasure doesn't exist apart from God. <laughs> it's just like he owns it all. Amen? Uh, we've taken his pleasures and twisted them. But that still doesn't deny the fact that all comes from above. Amen? Laughter, joy unspeakable, full of glory. And um, it's changing me. It's changing. It's putting more of a smile on my face when I consider he's a God of all pleasure. Amen? Thank God for that, right? He didn't have to be that way. <laughs> God could have been anything that he wanted. And what are you going to do about it? <laughs> There's nothing you can do about it. So praise God. He's a God of pleasure and delight. Amen? Amen? I mean, we, we just take that for granted. Don't take that for granted. God could have been any way he wanted. Yeah, right? I mean, you ever thought about that? What if God was angry God? We would be doomed. <laughs> what if God was like a... A God of like vengeance and, uh, you know, just selfish. <laughs> it's just like, but praise God that we have a God that is great. Amen. So let's read. And so from the day we, we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may, may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Lord, we just thank you for this moment. Thank you for your word. Thank you. Jesus, that um, you're teaching us and helping us to, Lord, to rejoice. Even as Paul says, rejoice again, I say to you, rejoice. So I'm, my heart's desire is that the temperature of joy would just increase in our hearts, Lord. That Lord, we would be a people truly whose, whose strength is in the joy of the Lord. And so I pray today against all depression, all Lord, just, um, just sadness and sorrow, Lord, that, that, that little by little, you're not going to just remove them all at once, but that little by little, Lord, our lives and our hearts and our minds are being invaded by the joy of the Lord. And so I pray for your anointing. I pray that you touch me. I pray that you give us ears to hear and that you would change us through all this, Lord, that we can have joy in coming to you, Lord. And so thank you for all that you're doing. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Why does Paul pray without ceasing that the church would be filled with the knowledge of his will? We asked last week. He was so, he was so eager that we would, we would be filled with this, with this knowledge. And so we began to ask the question, what is the substance of this spiritual knowledge? And he does tell us, he does tell us. The substance of this spiritual knowledge is the knowledge of his will. Colossians 1.9, and so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you to be 
filled with the knowledge, and the object of that knowledge is his will. Right, so so we have so we have something to hold on to. Knowledge is not just in a vacuum. It's knowledge of his will. And then we ask what, what comes to your mind when you think of God's will. And, 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 and I think it's fair to say that many people think of um, God's demands, what God requires. And so we started to say, no, that's not really what's in view. Um, God's will, ha- in a way, really, God's will has nothing to do with you. Like, uh, you know, but it has everything to do with God. Amen. It's his will, not your will. It's his will. It belongs to God. It's something that it, 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 it's his. And we said that the, the Greek word for will really expresses four things. One was the idea of inclination, inclination or preference. So there is this inclination that in the will of God. Secondly, and, and this is kind of the heart of it, that it, it, it expresses desire. But but not as con- not conceived as a demand, but conceived um, for a particular pleasure. So there's an inclination, a desire for pleasure. That's the will of God. Thirdly, the word the word expresses an intention. God has an intention. This is not just willy nilly. There's intentionality in God's will for pleasure. I mean, he, you know, he's. He's orchestrating, he's engineering, he knows, right, there's an intention. And then fourthly, the word also expresses resolve. He's already committed to this way of action. He's committed to this pleasure. He's no longer, he's not, he's not negotiating. And so the knowledge of his will, so therefore God's will, God's will refers to that powerful desire in God. It's a desire in God for something that brings him great pleasure and satisfaction. So that's God's will for you. You know, and, and, and so you have to re- kind of refactor your mind because I think we tend to think of God's will as these strict demands that God makes, but we, we don't take into consideration his joy, his pleasure, and his delight in it. We all, we just simply think that it's the, the, the burden's on me to do this will, right? And so, and, and so I pray that God is helping us to really get rid of that idea. The phrase his will is going to focus primarily on what God desires for his own pleasure, right? Don't, 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 don't mistake, it's not your pleasure as an end. Your pleasure is a means to an end. <laughs> the end is always God's pleasure, right? It's, it, it's, that's the way it works, right? It's his pleasure so that God is a God who's motivated by his uh, desire for infinite pleasures. And, you know, and, and you really look at human nature, human nature is exactly the same way. <laughs> you know, boy, you realize, you know, it, it's not complicated. We act and move according to pleasure. Yeah, I, you know, I, I stop asking people why they do certain things or why they don't do certain things. Because at the end of the day, if you don't take delight in it, you can, you can try, you're not, you know, you, 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 you're going to cause them to do something they don't take delight in it. But when the will is filled with the pleasure, you can't stop them. They're like a Mack truck and they want to work. They want to do. Why? Because they delight in it. 
All that God does is a byproduct of his pleasure. Psalm 135, verse 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, he does. Don't ever, don't ever confuse that. Everything that God happens in the world. The sun rose up in the morning this, this morning, right? Why, why did it rise up? <laughs> because it pleased him. Not because the rotation of the sun and if, the, if it goes off. <laughs> like, like, no, yeah, no, that's the means. You know, because it pleased, he took delight. He laughed when the sun rose up again. You will go to sleep tonight. Why? Because it pleases him. I mean, you know, everything that happens in, world, in, in life is because if he allows it because it pleases him. And you might say, nah, that's not true. My car was robbed last night. If my car was robbed last night, why did it happen? Because it pleased him. You'd be like, whoa. <laughs> You're going to have to wrestle with that. When I got cancer two years ago, why did I get cancer? Because, you can say it, because it pleased the Lord. You know, so everything that happens is because whatever the Lord pleases, that's what he does. If anything happens, the Lord's done it. The Bible's not confused about this. Now, how do we know the Lord pleases in, in things that we consider negative? Because the Bible already gives us the most negative thing that ever happened, and it pleased God in doing that. And it, right? Look at Isaiah 53, 10, right? But the Lord was pleased to crush Jesus. Now, what's worse, my cancer or crushing Jesus? There's no comparison. Crushing Jesus is a worse state of affairs than my own cancer. What's worse? That your house was broken into last night or crushing Jesus? Which, which one is worse? Crushing Jesus is a thousand times worse. The fact that you uh, lost your job, which one is worse? That you lost your job or, or that Jesus was crushed? See, I love, that's why I love the fact that we have the Bible and we, we got these climactic things that we can compare our lives to. Please the Lord to crush him. If it pleased the Lord to crush him, why can't it please the Lord that my house is broken into, that my car? <laughs> now, of course, you could ask the valid question. What would it please the Lord to have somebody break into your house? Valid question. But that's a secondary question. But we, but we state the truth that God is pleased in some way in crushing his son. Amen? So, so, so understand that, that, you know, and this is helpful. This is helpful because you're going to go around life and you're going cla- to think yourself you're a victim. And the Lord says, you're not a victim. I'm a lot of things because it pleased me. You're not a victim. Psalm 
You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forever. So when you think of God's will, I want you to think of laughter, joy. I don't know, Dorney Park. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know like, what, what, what's, your, what's your metaphor for, 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 for joy? God's will is his pleasure. Amen? And so uh, one of the reasons I believe that um, we struggle because we can't grasp that. We can't really grasp it. And so um, in, in our relationship with God, and um, so Psalm 100 and verse 2, right, serve the Lord with gladness, to serve him with gladness, with singing, and come before him, amen, and, and, um, and know that the Lord, he, he's, he's tried to, under, let's, not, let's try to understand God. He, let's try to understand this God that takes pleasure in everything. He's God. I mean, think about it. You know, he, he's like never lost a battle. He's perfect in all his decisions. He's never said, oops. God never has said, oops. I mean, I mean, <laughs> This is a God that, uh, you know, we can cloud our vision with such a world that is so chaotic. But at the end of the day, God is not saying, oops. And so this is great to know that kind of God because it's like I could go forward with that kind of God. Give me another kind of God that's contingent on, on the ca- uh, calamities. Then I'm like, I don't know. I'll be contingent. Too. I'm not so sure about this. But, but when we can, we can see a God over it all. It brings great peace. Amen? Amen? Brings great peace. So, Colossians 1.9. And so from the day we have heard, we have not ceased to praise you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his pleasure. So Paul wants the church to be filled with an understanding of those inclinations, that particular um, preference of God for Pleasure, his own pleasure. And of course, that raised the question. What is the object of that tr- that pleasure in God? What is that object? What is it exactly that God is wants to experience and I um and bring and, and bring great pleasure to God? So that's the question, right? I, I, everybody came to me, uh, people uh, came to me last week and said, uh, uh, you left us hanging. <laughs> you left us hanging. But um, I want to give you a little pastoral exhortation. And, I, you know, I did not plan to leave you hanging. But sometimes the Lord leaves you hanging. And I want you to get used to that. Um, he does leave you hanging. Um, there's a reason that sometimes we do that. And I learned that from God. I learned that from God. Um, Genesis 12.1, right? Genesis 12.1 says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. In other words, he had not shown him the land yet. But he tells him to go. I will show you, future tense, I will show you the land. But go. In other words, you know, God doesn't give us everything all at once. He gives it to us little by little. The word that we use in theology is progressive, not progressive Christians, (laughs) but progressive revelation. Revelation is progressive. That's just the nature of spiritual knowledge. Spiritual knowledge is progressive, little by little. You learn more, you, you, you attain more. 
You don't get it all at once. God never does that. You, 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 you gain little by little. In the Bible, God reveals his redemptive revelation progressively throughout hundreds of times. So, for example, in Exodus, about 700 years after Abraham, right, uh, God reveals to Moses the tabernacle. The, the tabernacle of Moses was, was portable, was made of, you know, certain materials, right? You could tear it down, you could bring it, you could move it, right? It's kind of portable. So that's God's revelation to Moses in the, in, in the wilderness. This is the tabernacle. But then about four to 500 years later, God reveals what? To, to, to David and to Solomon. What does he reveal? What is it? The temple. Very different than the tabernacle. Did God change the program? No, he didn't change the program. Is God like, is, is it more clear in God's mind? So therefore, it took him four to five to kind of, you know what? Uh, ooh, okay, first, first phase development. Uh, let's change. <laughs> did, God, did God do that? No. But four or five hundred years later, he gives, he gives Solomon, he gives David this vision for this permanent place, this temple. Why didn't he do that in, why did he do that in, in the wilderness? And then um, about a thousand years later, see that God is not, God, God is not in the rush. Is God like, okay, um, tabernacle, three weeks later, temple, two weeks later. <laughs> no, God doesn't do that. About a thousand years later, Jesus comes and talks about the church. Oh, tabernacle, temple, church. Why does God do it that way, right? It's, it's, it's you know, um, and, and, it's, and, and sometimes when we leave things out, it's because we want to make room for the progressive nature of spiritual knowledge and understanding. There's something that God seems right, it pleases him to not give it all at once. It's something that brings him pleasure. Obviously, he wouldn't do it, right? Because all that he does is pleasurable, right? All he, right? But it brings him great pleasure. And if it, if it brings God great pleasure, can we assume, is it safe to assume that if it makes God laugh, it will probably make you laugh? <laughs> oh, do you think, like, well, God's sense of humor is different from mine, you know? His sense of humor, he's got a weird sense of humor. I, got, I think my sense of humor is better. You really think so? <laughs> I don't think so. If he's laughing and you see what he see, you too will laugh. You too will rejoice. Amen? Like God is, God is infinite and glorious. And so, so it brings him great, great pleasure to do this. So there's, there's a pleasure in progressive revelation. There is a pleasure. <laughs> and it is pleasurable. It, it just feels like you're eating a steak that never ends. <laughs> It's like you just keep chewing, and once you, you chew one side, and there's more coming. <laughs> it's like, and so you, it's just a continuous delight in God. But why does God do that? Why does God um, give us revelation in, you know, and waste 4,000, waste 1,000 years? <laughs> like, um, first of all, the reason that revelation 
is progressive because God wants us to appreciate each step in the progress of evolution. Each step is beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. We tend to kind of look at the end, but each step is beautiful in its own right. Each step has something to show us about the plan of God, about the purposes of God, about the ways of God. Each step is glorious. Progressive revelation is a very effective way, I believe, of keeping the spotlight on God. And not just cave into the curiosities of our minds. Right? It, you know, we, we tend to want it all. Just show it to me now. Give it to me now. We have this impatience built in. And that impatience is not of God. It, God wants us to delight in, right, today, right now. But we're thinking about tomorrow, so we can't rejoice today. You, you see how we do that? We, we, our, our human nature is constantly pushing us into the future, which I think is Satan, right? Um, to get you to worry about the future. So you don't enjoy today. You don't enjoy the moment. You don't enjoy, right? All of us as fathers can say, man, I should have spent a little more time with our kids growing up, right? It's common because we, 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 we are so busy and we get caught up in, in the future and, and we miss now what God has given us. And we do that a lot. We do that a lot in Bible study. We, 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 God wants us to delight in what he has shown you. Amen? Look at John 13, 7. Jesus answered, what I am doing, you do not understand now. So God will do things that you will not understand. But afterward, you will. But think about this. They will understand afterward only because what? Because what God has already done. Does that make sense? So God, Jesus, what I am doing, you do not understand when. Now, is God doing something? Yes, Jesus is doing something. Afterward, you will what? So the idea that Jesus is doing something now is going to help us understand later. So you need both. Is it meaningless that he's doing something that they don't understand now? Is that meaningless? No. Why is it not meaningless? Because they will understand later. And what he's doing now, he's laying a foundation for, for them to understand later. Right? So, so you, you don't have to understand everything right now. But you can believe by faith that Jesus is doing a great work, and he will, and you, you will understand later. Amen? God wants us, you know, one of the things I wanted you to do last week is uh, meditate on the pleasures of God. Not on the object of his pleasures. We all wanted to know what's the object of the pleasure. What is it that he likes to, what is it that he likes to do, right? What is it that he, he, he enjoys, you know? And I get that, you know. 
But 2 Timothy 2.7 says, Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. But I did, I did, you know, just the fact that God has pleasure should have, is enough to occupy your thoughts and your mind. But I understand that um, people wanted to know what, what is, you know, what is that particular object? I, I get that. I get that a lot with the Lord, and sometimes the Lord holds. And the second reason, the second reason why Revelation is progressive is because God knows the tendency of our heart is to move away from God and make us depend. There's a tendency. There's a tendency um, to that if you're not careful, if you're not fully um, taking in what the Lord is saying to you now, and you allow things, uh, curiosity, it can be shifted, the focus can be shifted. What do I mean by that? Let me give you an example. If I would have told you last week, okay, folks, the particular object of God's pleasure is red cherries. If I would have said that, What would have been your thinking all of, all, of, all of the week? Where would your mind be landing? <laughs> your mind would be on. Do you see what just happened? Do, do, you see, do you see what just happened? Red cherries. Ooh. I'm going to buy some red cherries. I'm gonna, when I go to prayer, I'm going to have packs of red cherries. <laughs> do you see what just happened? The focus has just been turned away from God, who takes pleasure in red cherries, to the red cherries. Does that make sense? And that happens a lot, and there, that's why the Holy Spirit does progressive revelation, and that is whatever revelation and knowledge God wants to give you, God wants to remain at the center of that knowledge. Doesn't mean that there are there are there aren't other things involved in that knowledge. The red cherries have a part to play in God's pleasure. Yes. But the discipline of the mind is how can I know that and still maintain Christ at the center of that knowledge? That's what we fail to do many times, especially in theology, where we, we begin to we have all these things that theology and Bible teaches, and we, be, we that becomes like the center, and the interest gets absorbed by those outward things. Does that make sense? And and I, I want us to really understand. And and this happened even in the garden. Look at Genesis three six. The center of of Eden is what is whom? Who's the center of Eden? God. God is at the center. God, it's His world. But when the woman saw the tree, who made the tree? And it was good for food. And that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was good to be desired, was to be desired to make one wise. She looked, she took its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her. What's missing? What's one word missing from that whole verse? God, God is not in it. God is not in that verse. Do you think that's a coincidence? 
They're not taking into consideration God. Her mind is now absorbed with something that God made. Is the tree evil? No. The tree is good. Why do we know it's good? God made it. But suddenly, something that God created becomes the center and attracts us. And we are constantly doing that. And, we, and, and all of us, right, when none of us are perfect, we can all do it. And instead of keeping God at the center, because we're going to talk about the pleasures of God in ways that I think is going to be very extraordinary. But I want you to keep God at the center. Amen? We can become fascinated with the tree of the Bible, you know, all kinds of trees in, in Bible knowledge, apart from the knowledge of God. We can be, you know, which, which sermon series do you think would be more, would be more popular? The happiness of God sermon series or God wants to make you very happy. <laughs> it would be like two people on the side of the sheet and then the other one is like 16 pages of like, <laughs> it's like, wow, it's like, you know. You know, it, it's just, it is what it is. I mean, you have to laugh. You have to laugh at yourself. It's, that's just the way we are. Um, the happiness of God. God wants to, God wants to make you happy. <laughs> that's where I am. You know, it's like, right, we, you know it, we're not really interested in God. We're interested in how God can bless us. We're interested in how God can make my life feel better. Let's be honest. If you don't come to grips with that wicked tendency in us, right, we got, but, but we're so self-centered. We're not, sometimes we're not that interested in knowing about God. We're only interested in knowing God as it benefits me. And the disciples, they constantly, they constantly were like clashing with Jesus over this, you know. You know, they, they, you know when, when Jesus told Peter, you know, I'm going to the cross, I'm going to die. And, oh, no, you're not. <laughs> and what did, what did Jesus say? Get behind me, who? George? Satan. You know, so, so there is this self-centeredness in our, and I want us to rejoice in God. Otherwise, we're going to miss it. We'll miss it. The joy is in the knowledge of God. Amen? So the church is filled with people, you know, like all kinds of people that, you know. You ever, I've, I've had this experience several times. I'll, I'll tell them how wonderful Jesus Christ is, and, and amen. Pr praise the Lord. Amen, brother. I'm so happy for you. But then I say, um, oh, did you know that the Antichrist was, got, was born in Sweden? Oh, the goosebumps. It's like, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> they get turned on like a Christmas tree. Do you know that the Jews are, are building the temple? <laughs> yes, yes, I heard that too. Right? I mean, it's, it's sad. It's just sad. We, we, we just get so attracted to all this other stuff. But Jesus, at the end of the day, is not really what we're interested in. To know God. But the Bible says that the knowledge of God is what changes us. Amen? Look at, look at John 17, 3. John 17, 3. And this is eternal life. That they know how blessed they are. Is that eternal life? That they know how blessed they are. Tell them how, how much they're blessed and this is eternal life. Is that what he says? What does he say? Th what is eternal life? That they what? That they know you. That's eternal life. Not how blessed you are, how wonderful you are. You know, that's not, now that you are blessed and how, and you are wonderful. <laughs> so we're not denying that, but that's not the center. It's God, his pleasures. Amen? You know, so 
Everything, every, every other kind of knowledge that doesn't have God at the center. This is 100% true. I don't care who it is. Any knowledge, whether it be Bible knowledge, theological knowledge, I don't care what it is. If God is truly not at the center, it's vain. It's vanity. Look at Ecclesiastic 1.14. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. What's the key word there? Uh, how, how, I've seen everything that is done. I mean, how could that be? This is God's world. Well, under the sun. That's the key phrase. Everything that is kind of contained within this realm and exists on its own. It's all of it is vanity. All of it is vain. All of it is useless. I don't care, doctor. All of it is useless if it's strictly seen as being under the sun. The only way that things in this life take on any value is to import something from above. Amen? To see God at work. This is not just something under the sun. This is the work of God. Amen? So anytime that we just, just contain it within the sphere, it's vanity. It's useless. It's not going to profit you. Everything will exist. You know, look, look, look at the, uh, the Genesis 1, 1, 2. And we're going to wrap up. And everything exists in a state of tohu and bohu. <laughs> tohu and bohu. Say that together. Tohu and bohu. Those are two amigos. Tohu and bohu. Everything in this world is tohu and bohu. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Verse 2. The earth was Tohu, without form, and bohu, right? Everything is without form and without void, and, and void, empty, everything. I mean, so much, think about it, so much of life, people live their lives in that spiritual state. Without form, no shape. And empty. That's just the way life is apart from God. The only thing to change that is what? Let there be light. And God said. So, so we have a choice, right? You live without God, you are tohu bohu. Without form, I mean, and tohu bohu is, is coming back. You, know, you can read the prophets. And Isaiah, I think it was Jeremiah that saw Tohu and Bohu are coming back. Where do you think all this transgender stuff is coming from? Without form, right? They've lost the form. I don't know what my form is. Right? Did you, did you see that guy in Japan who took the surgery for 14000 and he did what? What did he do, Jim? Yeah, he made like a, and now he lives like a dog. In the window, and I mean, you got to see. I mean, if you look, it looks like Casper. I mean, <laughs> literally, Casper's my dog, you know, my my poor dog. But but it's like he lit. I mean, it's, you don't know if to laugh or cry at the same time. But he just took on that he's a dog, and he spent thousands of dollars to have a special surgery to look like a very beautiful dog. <laughs> I mean, a little weird from from the side. <laughs> it's like that's freaky. <laughs> you got to do you got to do a little work on the side, but but it's like. It was like, what do you do with that kind of information? And you see him, and the family has accepted him 
in his state. So he now, I was reading yesterday that the family said that they're okay. Tohu and Bohu are here. People are losing their sense of form. What if my people are identity, where's the identity crisis coming from? It's coming from Tohu and Bohu. It's coming from this sense, I don't know who I am. God, 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 the judgments of God are falling fast and furious. And Tohu and Bohu, people are, are basically absorbing to in their being, in their emotional being, in their identity. There's a, there is a complete, without form, and, and totally empty on the inside. We have never seen anything like this before, right? I mean, have you ever seen anything like this? Such a confusion of identity? All because God was not in their knowledge. Take God out. Take God out of the schools. Whoa. Now we can, right? The first day they, they took God out of schools, everything looked normal again. But 40 years later, what a disaster, right? Tohu and Bohu have come to the schools. And homes, families, take God out of it. Tohu and Bohu return. You lose your form. You lose your sense of purpose. You lose your sense of meaning. Empty. Without God, life is meaningless. That's what Ecclesiastes was saying. Without God, we, we need the knowledge of God. We need, to, we need to not just know about the Bible. We need to know God. Amen? Lastly, Jeremiah 9, 24. Thus says the Lord, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Right? Here it is. True joy. True joy, true boasting. This boasting is the idea, the idea of praise. True joy is going to come only from the knowledge of God. It doesn't come from all the other things that we might put emphasis. If we're not doing anything, if we're, if we're not doing those things, whether we're coming to church, doing our Bible study, praying, if we're not doing that with a view towards knowing God and we're just doing it out of religious duty, you will not discover the knowledge of God, and you will have no joy. The knowledge of God is our joy. So that's why I'm glad that the Lord, anyone, you know, I, I left you hanging last week. And I'm going to leave you hanging again. <laughs> but I want you to meditate on the pleasures of God. And next week, we'll start to Walk the beautiful ocean of what God delights in. But the things that he delights in, they're going to be precious. They're going to blow you, hopefully they'll blow you away. But the point is that God delights in them. It's not, it's not, it, it, so keep that in mind, you know. Keep in mind that, that, that it's, it's what he, the issue is about God's Amen? But there are things he tells us that he delights in. Amen? So meditate on the pleasures of God this week. Read up scripture. I love what, I love what uh, Ashley was saying. She looked up all the scriptures and, and, you know, just read up and just consider God. Just with, with, without respect to yourself, God, you, you delight. 
you, you are God of delight. You take pleasure. That knowledge will change you. You don't have to know right away what's the object of the sport. Is it a, you know, that's going to come. But just, just revel the fact that he's a God of great pleasure. Amen? And then we'll, we'll, we'll pick it up next week. And give you a little, This is a vast topic. We're not going to spend too much time, but we'll give you just a couple things to help you see. Like, I'll, I'm interested to know two things. What is the object of his delight? What is, in what way does he delight? What is it? And then, and then figure out, and then figure out, like, you know, what does he do to satisfy that delight? Right? I mean, if you, if you tell me, oh, I, I, I delight in pizza, then in my mind, I'm thinking, I immediately see you in a pizza shop with three pizzas in hand. <laughs> and you're going like that. <laughs> so the question is, what what does what what does God do to satisfy that pleasure in Himself? Yeah, you know, it's, it's just uh, it, and it's just something that I've been meditating on. It's like wow. So we'll, we'll you know so the, we're really interested in getting to know a little bit better. Hopefully, this will this will change, and really you can begin to delight in God. Amen. Well, let's pray. Father, we we are grateful. We're grateful for the progressive nature of revelation. And even though Christ has come and has fulfilled, yes, there still is an increase. I believe in Colossians that Colossians talks about increasing in the knowledge of God. There still and forever will be a progressive increase. For all eternity in the knowledge of God. Lord, my hope and desire is that we will be a people of great joy. And that the joy will be rooted and grounded firmly in the knowledge of who God is. And all that he's done. And so I pray for that, Lord. I pray, Jesus, that um, joy would, would burst out more and more in this church, even in the midst of trials, in the midst of afflictions, that the joy of the Lord would truly be our strength. What good is it to come to church if we're not growing in our knowledge of who you are? Because that's where we will find joy. It's not going to be in overcoming addictions. That's great. But that's not where our joy is, Lord. It's not in overcoming habits or behaviors. That's important and that's necessary. But that's not where our, our joy is in knowing God, knowing Christ above all things. And so I pray, Lord, that we will be a people that will pursue the knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of God, and, and, and not give up until, Jesus, we are rejoicing as one who has found great spoils. And so, Lord, I ask you to do that wonderful work and prepare our hearts to delight in the things that you delight. And give us understanding, Lord, so that we might grow and we might, Lord, forever put to death, God, all the lies of Satan that comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. And so, Father, thank you so much, Jesus, for, for this morning. Thank you for this people. I pray that you would bless us, Lord, as we leave this place. I pray we would rejoice today as we go to Good Shepherd and enjoy a time with the folks at Good Shepherd. 
and help us to constantly rejoice in you, Jesus, and not to allow the trouble, the concerns of this world to keep us from rejoicing in the God who is all great, so mighty, so beautiful. And so, Father, thank you for opening our eyes little by little, but continue to open our eyes, Lord, that we might truly delight, that we might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. And so we thank you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. And the church said,